Welcome everyone back to the next episode of Gear Talk, where we are connecting reliability professionals with reliable information. Today, we're going to get into a topic of lubrication programs, good, bad, and really how do we empower people to, to take a leadership position or at least leadership activities to garner support to really develop a lubrication program and to make it better. And no stranger to this is our guest today, Jeff Walkup. Now, I'm excited. I've, I've known Jeff for a little bit of time now, and he's got a big you know, interest in lubrication programs, fluid analysis. He's been in a lot of different industries. And with that, I think we're, we're going to bring Jeff in. So, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, for joining us today. I mean, I, I can't, um, you know, really think of someone else that I'd, I'd love to talk about this topic for, especially. So since part of this is we want to, to connect, you know, reliability professionals with reliable uh, information, we want to understand, you know, who you are as a person. So if you don't mind giving us a, a little bit of background, that'd be fantastic. Well, appreciate it, Wes. Matter of fact, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. As you said it, I'm very passionate about this. I enjoy it. I've been a part in, involved with Noria for, oh my goodness, going back 1999, 2000, really kind of cut my teeth back in the day with that. And I remember some of the old names. I mean, I always tease Mr. Uh, Mr. Fitch about back in the day when he had, when he had hair and it had color. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, going back the days, I remember Mark Barnes and even, you know, Drew Troyer and a lot of the other people that worked there through the organization. I went to a lot of the courses starting, you know, in the early 2000s. Met some of the best people that I know in the organization. And, and, and typically when you think about, you know, tribology, lubrication, reliability, engineering, maintenance, you know, this the tribology aspect of it is one of those kind of black arts. It's not really taught in some of your engineering schools and whatnot. Uh, I'm an engineer by trade. Uh, also have an economics background, mechanical engineering background. And uh, as you said before, I've got to work as an end user from, you know, Fortune 500 mining companies for, well, nearly 20 years at one. Um, I grew up in a construction family. My father back in the 60s and 70s had a oil filled pipeline construction outfit. So I ran equipment for my dad back in the, before I could even drive a car legally and uh, working on it. And I remember the, the maintenance programs and the reliability engineering programs like, Olive, if people only knew what we did, you know, <laughs> I can remember, you know, Wyoming in January and February, Colorado, Utah, Four Corners, uh, you know, going out there when it's 25, 30 below zero. You know, taking an oil sample and getting diesel and hydraulic oil on top of you, that stuff's pretty darn cold. And I enjoyed right. the way that things operated and maintained them, but I knew that I kind of wanted to use a little bit of the smarts up here. So that 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 set my path to school. So uh, as you and I were talking about, you know, college experience, and then after that, I did a good portion in the military, about a decade, and uh, learned a lot about you know processes and systems but leadership, you know, and then we'll talk about that a little bit more. And then uh, not only working in the, when I got out of the military, working in the, in the mining world from various aspects, but in particular, getting a, an understanding of the end user empathy and domain knowledge to know how things were operated, how they were ran, setting up budgets, operating crews, running maintenance crews, then even starting up an, in, uh, an onsite uh, oil lab, plus the entire NDT program where we did vibration thermography, uh, acoustics emissions, on and on and on. And uh, just to be able to, to imply that and to start off with literally knowing nothing, me and my laptop computer traveling the world. That's how I ran into Noria. And, uh, you know, that's a carte blanche to, to the training that, that you all do even to this day. You know, some very, very good things and some good friends and people that I see at conferences to this day. And then I uh, then I worked as a consultant to mining companies, an Australian company that I worked with, uh, you know, Fortune 50 companies all across North America. 
And then after doing that for about a decade, building the team from the ground floor up, uh, got involved in a, strictly on the vibration side, you know, from a, a large European company, you know, under the renewable space where uh, fixed vibration and the various things that go with that. And then when the opportunity came to work at Fluid Life, the company that I'm the vice president for uh, sales and marketing now, it allowed me to kind of come full circle and take all those things there and to, to build teams, you know, and to expand and grow in what we've done in the, in the States, you know, plus all the many things we did up in, uh, in Canada. And just an amazing group of people. And uh, I'm very passionate about leadership. I'm very passionate about mentoring and uh, e equipping people. You, you said something earlier about leadership and equipping. I think that all things in life rise and fall on leadership. And literally, you know, I heard John Maxwell say this. If you want to find out the temperature of an organization, stick a thermometer in the mouth of the leader. And that's going to tell you a lot where that company stands organization stands where they're going to go. So in the midst of that, about, you know, 35 plus years, you know, here we are. And uh, yeah. I've been every step of the way, learned some great, great things, met great people. I've seen good programs. I've seen not so good programs. I've seen stuff that's a little, uh, you know, a gong show, if you will. Ringling Brothers, <laughs> that's okay because everybody's, uh, everybody's capable of learning and improving incrementally 1%, you know, little by little, day by day, each and every day. That's it. Yeah, move in the right direction, and maybe that's a that's a good segue. So you've talked about building, you know, uh, great teams, you know, building programs, and maybe we start talking about all right, a reliability program or a lubrication program in in different industries. You know, I'm I'm a firm believer when I walk into to some place and they say, well, lubrication is everyone's responsibility. That actually means that it's you know no one's responsibility. That, yeah. Uh, they haven't quite figured out, you know, who's doing what and who owns it and, and what's going on. So maybe some of the, um, with your background, you know, some of the mines or maybe some of the other industries that you've worked with, what seems to, to work in terms of staffing for reliability or staffing for lubrication? Yeah, exactly. Great question. You know, when you think about mining companies, mining companies, they're, they're a microcosm of a lot of different industries. You're yes. going to have your, your surface operations where you're going to have equipment uh, where, you know, depending on what your commodity is, per se, operations will drive many, many things. And then yes. you'll have maintenance, you know, maintenance over here that's, you know, they're trying to plan and schedule, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, you know, when do they repair, when they rebuild, when they do specific things and to reduce that unscheduled, unplanned downtime. Um, and then operations has to get their goodie out of the ground. They won't allow them. Mm -hmm. Likewise, you'll go into the, you know, to the, to the process areas of those mines, which are fixed plant in a sense. You'll have autoclaves and roasters and, you know, all kinds of different pumps and conveyance systems and, and tons of stuff. So even though the industries may be somewhat different, there's lots of things that you can learn from one another. Then there's yes. going to be surface operations. There's going to be underground operations where, you know, your commodity based upon, you know, what it is. When you're into that, when you're into, you know, the pr production portion there, you know, everything is, is, is money. You've got to get your goodie to the market, whatever it is. And if you take, you know, it's not like uh, if it's hard rock or coal or gold, whatever the case might be, you know, that can sit on the ground another thousand years, another million years, you know, and the prices of commodities go up and down. When I started that's right. Mining world, gold was you know $245 an ounce. You know, it's what $2,000 an ounce now. Yep. And you're thinking microscopic. So there's untold vast amounts of money that, that's a waste there. But when you think about lubrication and programs, you know, everybody thinks, hey, you know, it's, it's wet, it's sticky, you know? Yeah. I see grease 
puking it out is. of it, that means it's got to be good. It's got to be. It's leaking out. There's got to be something in it, right? So I think first and foremost, it, it is tribology, oil analysis, lubrication. It, it's a it's a hidden art, if you will. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of voodoo science behind it. But more than anything is people don't know what they don't know. Yes. And you've got to sit down and you've got to stop for a moment. You've got to pause. You've got to use common sense, a little bit of wisdom, have a common sense czar. You got to say, what are we doing? Is it working? Why are we doing it? You know, set up goals and objectives and stuff. And that old saying, that which gets measured gets done is very true. If you Mm -hmm. don't score, I mean, I don't care if it's kids that are playing ball out in the backyard, football, kickball, you know, somebody's got to keep score. And if we aren't keeping score, how do we know we're winning? Right. Yeah. There's tons of tears off of that. But I think sitting down and realizing, you know, where are you at now? And then again, with that leadership, leadership is not only empowering and equipping, but leadership is about casting that vision where we yes. are, where we want to go. Here's the mission. What are the parts and pieces that uh, that my team would get to be able to execute it? How do we get there? So I think the first thing you need to be able to do is you need to sit down and you have to have a have a vision, have a plan and how you're going to get there and start small. You know, don't make these huge, gigantic you know, incremental changes overnight. But and, and that'll steal momentum more than anything. If you try to do too much too soon, you, you kill people. It's yeah. Not- and also you start to diffuse your ability because if, if you are more focused and you focus in, in one aspect of the, the program and all right, we pick on greasing because it's easy, right? Because most everyone, you know, adds too much grease to something. But to be able to d- start doing that exceptionally well, you know, one spot to where you can visually see it. Usually yep. starts to starts the momentum. You you mentioned uh, John Maxwell earlier, right? His loss of leadership. One of them is the law of the flywheel, right? Getting people on yep. board to, to things, and you do have to be a law little bit more intentional. Yeah, momentum exactly. Yeah, being intentional. So I think you know when it comes back to the staffing portion too. You know you have to have have key people put in place, people that can can embrace and make it their own. They, they have to show some uh, some autonomy, be proactive. Mm. They want to learn as much as possible, you know, uh, and fill in our minds with with things that have worked of other places. You know, there's uh, when you look at like the military and the special ops community, they, they have a term NFQ, never freaking quit. Right. <laughs> but if you're if you're going at something and you're doing it over and over and over again and it's not working, it's not right. You know, is that hill worth dying for? You don't want to keep mm. doing Things are unsuccessful. Likewise, when, when Einstein said it, you know, and uh, you know, last time I checked, pretty smart guy. When Einstein yeah. said doing the same old thing the same old way, expecting a different results, definition of insanity. And yeah. I think organizations do that. So I think we have to appoint key people, people that are passionate, people that get it, have yeah. to invest in them, give them time and opportunity to, to start something to see it through, have measurable goals, have milestones. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be agile. You've got to be quick to get back on course. Again, the military, if you take a compass, you know, 360 or a, you know, a mills compass, you know, 6,400 mills. If you get one direction off course, you know, that's not that big of a deal, but one direction, one, one, one degree, five degrees at 500 miles, you're thousands of miles. Deflection is, is huge. So get back on course as soon as possible. Be humble, be teachable, be willing to receive and to learn. And then putting key people in, in, in places is, is so fundamental. If we don't have people that own programs and own things and own their actions and then hold people accountable, you know, that's not to say we're always looking for, for things, but we've got to own our actions, but hold people accountable, you know, top and or bottom. 
We have to have tools that we can make sure that we're transparent up and down the organization. Stakeholders, you know, are, are you know, maintenance managers and C-level folks. They need to know that what we're doing, where's our ROI, are we getting investment back, how soon, how quick. We have to have all those things that are there. And I think, you know, start off easy, bit by bit, piece by piece. And elephants eating one bite at a time. One Rome, bite at a time. Rome wasn't created. Uh, would you agree, and I, I usually tell most people this, there is nothing inherently difficult about lubrication, right? I mean, the the act of applying a, a lubricant, getting it out into the field, isn't necessarily difficult, right? What's difficult is doing it the correct way day after day, years on end, and mm-hmm. making sure that and through that entire uh, chain that everyone understands what's going on because you as the, the lube technician applying the lubricant could be doing the, the best job possible. But if purchasing isn't, you know, providing you the, the right lubricant, if yeah. whoever's storing it isn't making sure that it's, um, you know, inside, it's just outside getting rained on or something. It's, it's all those discrete pieces that start to make it a little bit more difficult. That's right. Absolutely. I think too, you know, you can open up a whole, you know, uh, a, a big old, two-day discussion on that and that alone. You'll take purchasing folks sometimes that are well-intended, good meaning. They've got their jobs to do. They kind of serve as some sort of a business forensic analyst that says, all these engineers, we want cool stuff and widgets and toys and, you know, uh, PAOs, PAGs, you know, really nice group four oils and stuff like that, you know, that operate in these extreme conditions, extreme environments. And they're trying to get us, you know, what can we get the reduced costs on? So they'll come down and they'll check off no, no, no. At the end of the day, what we wind up getting to work with sometimes turns out to be not necessarily the best, but it's price driven. Yeah. And vendors can also, I mean, when I was an end user, putting together budgets and all that stuff, buying tools, equipment, lubricants, on and on and on. I used to hate vendors. Now that I have been one for you know 20 years, I say vendors can be our best friend and our worst enemy as well, too. If vendors would operate with a position of character and integrity and say, you know, no, you don't need this. There's better Mm -hmm. things you can do, you know, but choosing the best solutions for the right reasons, employing the right people, buying clean, good quality. You know, it's pretty simple about clean, clean lubricants, keep it clean and dry and maintain it and uh, test it. And secure yep. being able to do its job. There's a lot of built-in things that's already engineered into lubricants and components that we can get more life out of it. But if yes. we get a vendor, it tells us, hey, you need to change this lubricant based upon hours, months, days, minute, opposed to true condition. So I think being wise about our P's and Q's, you know, uh, we as leaders, every one of us, and you kind of brought that point up earlier in some of the, the, the pre-phasing about you don't have to have a title to be a leader. You can lead for the, right. the organization because it's about influence. Watch, if you will, go into a room, any, any room where you've ever been before where no names are and nobody's given a title. Nobody knows who is. And they sit down in a round room and the people that would speak up in the way that other people take notice to them to the left and the right and whatnot. You know, those are the people we should pay attention to. And I mm-hmm. think uh, in our technicians and stuff that are out there from you know my experience, you know, many years ago, when we started doing various things, we, we started to say rather than take a, a technician that we would send out in the field, whether it be a mobile or, 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 or fixed plant. And we would say, this is somebody that we pay 10 bucks an hour less than we pay our best technicians to go work on it. We don't trust them to work on it, but we test. So we give them a grease gun or something like that. Grease gun or say, go take the lifeblood, the lubricant out of that hundred million dollar piece of machinery, $20 million, you name the price. And then we t- trust them to go take a sample. We haven't provided them training, told them why it's important, have given the tools, tell them to go do it. 
It's 45 below zero, 25 below zero, 120 degree heat down in Arizona. And they yeah. bring that back and we make all these major decisions on that. If we change that thinking and say, let's invest in people for every hour that you would spend doing something out in the field, you spend five hours looking at the data, ascertaining it is correct. Make sure you have the right training, the right reasons. That's why consistency, sample ports, pedo tubes, you know, teach them contamination control, the, the why. Watch what yep. happens. And we did that and we saw untold value of our whole program. We saw costs drop. We saw improvements take off and to just invest in people. So uh, I would say that's the number one thing to invest in your people. So that's, uh, I, I think that's, that's one part of it, you know, and as, as we talk about, you know, equipping people to, to go out there and lead from where they're at, right. You know, in a, you know, and they don't have the formal title to do it. Right. Yep. Um, so one aspect is, is equipping them with what they should know or the why, right? In fact, there's a whole book called start with why of why we're doing this, but there's also, you know, creating an environment where they feel comfortable with sharing maybe their, their thoughts, improvement efforts in your experience, you know, how, how does that work? I mean, how, if these are the people that are actually in charge of this, they're actually doing it and maybe they have good ideas. How do you make sure that they feel comfortable enough to bring those out and then put them into action. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll, I'll start at the top too. You know, for, for example, a lot of times people that are in leadership roles, right. You know, and then we can kind of play here back and forth with leadership and management, you know, big difference. Yeah, they are uh, different. Managers, you know, can be take care of the, the execution of the mission that the leaders sure. have down through the vision, right. Or leaders, you know, and it's about executing and checking off boxes and doing X, Y, and Z. But a lot of times I've seen this happen before. One, the, the person that's elevated into a leadership role may not necessarily be the best quit person for that job, might not mm -hmm. have all the tools or the talents. They might have been the technician, the millwright, the mechanic that's been there the longest. And, or there uh, was the most technical adept, which doesn't necessarily qualify you to right. manage people or lead people by any means. Absolutely. So I think, you know, we got to examine who are in those actual roles, right? Are we putting people in there that have the ability that are that, that are multidimensional to do a lot of things, but the ability to, to be able to communicate, to empower, to inspire, to mentor people so that we can take that human element. And now we're employing artificial intelligence, machine learning, edge computing, all these things. We've got drones and widgets. And if some kid at Georgia Tech or MIT can think it, Believe you me, it's already in place somehow or some way. Have you seen the things like the Boston Dynamics are doing? You know, those right. robots, the spot, you know, we've seen those at the reliability plant conferences, you know, drones, where all that's that's all came from. I mean, Wes, going back into my time, when I went to college, the PC didn't exist. So we had to be creative to plagiarize. We literally had to <laughs> read, right? You know, and you couldn't, uh, you could, you know, there was no artificial intelligence. There was no chat GPT. There were none of these things, right? So as that's gotten faster and more and better, being able to take people that they can say, first of all, I've got to hire the best people and I've got to hire people that are smarter than me. I've got to teach them and train them all the tricks in the trade that I know to help them. I got to turn them loose, you know, to, to allow them to build off of what I've gone. Now that's a, that's a maturity aspect. That a lot of folks aren't willing to do a lot of times because that exposes them. And in, in their mind's eyes, it puts them to risk to be replaced by somebody else. Mm, yeah. And, and I think it's very important that we have to put, we have to, we have to be willing to, 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 to give them all the knowledge that we know and then some. We've got to be able to allow them to stand on their shoulders. One, we can't take people to a place that we've never gone before. You know what I mean? Right. 
I can't expect somebody to go do some stuff that I've never done and know anything about. And Hey, good luck. Hope that turns out well, but we've got to be willing to, to really invest in them and people. And then we've got to encourage them. The same thing is that if you've learned from things, including failures, you know, that we could, we could talk forever on that. People love to talk about their success because yes. their success is loud, man, look what I did. You know, it's not what I did. It's what we did. But if we stop and say those three things are great or 10 things or whatever, but let's talk about our failures because our failures, you know, they aren't failures if we don't stay there. Failures are ways of how not to do it and how did we learn? How did we pivot? How do we get back on course? I think those are- I love the the aspect that, um, right, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. That's the other aspect of it too, is when we celebrate successes, all of a sudden everyone's involved. Yeah. But if there's a, a failure, all of a sudden no one did it. Who, no one knows what the last person was. But yeah. to, to be able to, to say, no, 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 it's, it's not a, a finger pointing game. That's right. It's simply, all right, what were the, you know, breadcrumb this? Yeah. What happened at each of these stages that led to some sort of issue? And a failure doesn't necessarily mean a, a catastrophic machine failure, right? A, a failure could be we got a bad oil analysis report. Was sure. it how we sampled? Was it through this whole line of, of um, uh, chain of custody of things? Did something break down in that? I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean pain. It just means this is an area that we can improve. Absolutely. You know, in any person that isn't humble enough and willing to receive correction and be humble about it, you know, you, you said something that a finger pointed, and I just thought of this, when I, when I point that finger, I'll say I'm pointing to you or the camera's <laughs> there's one finger. There's one finger at Wes. But there's three yeah. things that went back at me, right? So we've all got to own our actions and be willing to say, hey, that my bad. You know, we've got to be able to say, we did this. You know, no excuse. Let's, let's find out how to correct it. And, and I kind of equate that. I, I was sharing with that with some of my people in a mentoring session today that, I, that worked for me, is that not be fixated on the problem, but be fixated on the fix. And I always, right. tell, I always tell my people, too, and I would say this to anybody wherever I would go, is that, you know, the world is full of complainers. So if you complain about something, for every complaint that you have, give me two or three things that are going to fix it, that we can walk there away from the table today to, to, to fix this. And then let's, let's get back on track and it'll all take care of itself. And I think, you know, to, as you're a, as a leader equips and mentors people, allow them to have an, a, an environment where it's, where it's okay to make mistakes, where it's okay not to know all the answers, but to encourage them to learn to pull in from other people, to draw on, you know, own internal resources that are there. And I always say this as well, too. I wish I was smart enough to, to have coined it, but I say this all the time, is that the answers are in the room. You've got a group of people mm-hmm. that work with you that have varied knowledge, experience, skill set, the totality of all things that they've done, formal education, hands-on, real-world experience, and, and parlay upon that and always be looking for those daily incremental 1% improvements. Jeff, I, I hate to do this. I, I can't believe it. We're already uh, bellied up against our, our time. But, uh, you know, boil this down for me. Uh, I want to give you the, the last word, right? Key takeaways. You've already talked about empowering your people through, through education. But if someone's kind of starting this journey and they're really wanting to see some improvements, give them you know, a couple quick hitters here of, on what you think they should start with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think first and foremost, you know, look where you're at. What do you have? Is it working? If not, you know, do little tiny things that you can start that day and that day alone to make improvements on. Be willing to ask for help. You know, look to other people, you know, mining companies, uh, oil and gas companies, renewable companies. You know people 
at other places. Ask them what they're doing. How's this, how's this affecting their bottom line? You know, get, get some takeaways. Go and visit other sites and locations. Invest in your people. Provide them training. Tell them why training is important. You know, don't say, I don't have money in the budget to not to, to do it. No, you're a fool if you say, I don't budget for being able to do that. The next part is you're always going to have about every 18 months, every three years, people are going to be in transition. They're always, people are coming and going, roles are changing. If anything in life that is consistent is the inevitability that change will come. And uh, don't, don't give up. Be persistent. Be patient. Be resilient. You know, be willing to, to, to challenge assumptions in all things. At the end of the day, if you're, if you're doing activity that moves the needle, you're, you're making progress. If you're just doing activity, you're a duck on a pond. It looks calm on top, but it's legs underwater just a kicking. Furious underneath. That's Jeff, I, I absolutely love it. I, I learned NFQ from, from this one, so I'm, I'm going to steal that one. But um, I, I'm hoping that you'll come back on because it sounds like we've actually got quite a bit more to, to unpack. And I think that it'd be good for us to maybe uh, step through some of this and uh, let our, our listeners and our viewers, you know, get some some real good meat out of this. So um, uh, we'll, we'll do this again here shortly, I, I hope. Matter of fact, and, love to. Passionate about it. Love getting the word out there. Love helping all my other friends and stuff out there. Hey, we're in this race together. You know what I mean? Yep. And then uh, just real quick, how would someone get in touch with you? Yeah. Well, my name, uh, my uh, email is jeff.walkup at fluidlife.com. Just like it sounds, W-A-L-K-U-P at fluidlife.com. Be glad to help anybody that's out there, you know, and, and I respond to, to everybody. I really do. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining uh, for joining us. And for everyone that's uh, listening and viewing, thank you so much for this. If you take a minute and like and subscribe to this, it helps us out a lot. And remember, if there are other topics, other questions, things that you want more depth about, you can always contact us at podcast at noria.com. And we'll be joining us here again really soon for the next episode of Gear Talk. Thank you so much.